This week on A Lively Experiment, it is the first time they have appeared together to answer questions and talk about the issues facing Rhode Island. Hear how the three top elected leaders in the state interact with each other and what their priorities are for the coming year. A Lively Experiment is generously underwritten by for more than 30 years, A Lively Experiment has provided insight and analysis of important political issues that face Rhode Islanders. I'm John Hazen-White, Jr., and I'm proud to support this great program and Rhode Island PBS. Joining us on the panel, Governor Dan McKee, House Speaker Joe Sicarci, and Senate President Dominic Ruggiero. Hello, everyone, and welcome to this special edition of A Lively Experiment. I'm Jim Hummel. We are glad to bring you a broadcast first with the governor, speaker, and Senate president together in our Rhode Island PBS studios today. On any given week, our lively panel talks about these three men and the decision that they make. Today, we get to speak with them. So first of all, guys, thank you so much for joining us. We appreciate it. And Senate president, we know this is your first time on Lively Experiment, so... Uh, we're making history here. Um, Governor, let me start with you. There's been a lot said about the communication between the three of you, and I will say it even if though, though you don't want to. Your relationship with Governor Raimondo before you was not the greatest. I know Speaker Mattiello, your predecessor, and the governor had some back and forth. You guys seem to get along. Tell me about the communication, um, how that's gone, how often you get together, and, and just what that is from day to day. Yeah, so I know that we have different job responsibilities and, and we got to respect each other's position. So immediately uh, there was a reach out from, uh, from the Speaker and the Senate President to be meeting weekly as I came into office. And we, we kept that going right through the entire budget process. And good things can happen if you're talking and understanding that we have different roles. There's a legislative branch, there's an executive branch. And I did that as a mayor. So this, I did that as a mayor working with my town council in a way that's very similar to we're working with the General Assembly leadership right now. Mr. President, you're the one, the constant, you know, it's changed. You had Governor Raimondo and working with uh, Speaker Mattiello. And uh, truth be told, did you have to mediate at times sometimes between them? I know they didn't have the greatest relationship. What role did you play? Well, I, I try to work with both uh, the governor, uh, governor Raimondo and also with, uh, with Speaker Mattiello at the time. Uh, they did have some uh, issues amongst themselves. I thought the governor had some great programs that we should have supported, and eventually the speaker was in support of those uh, uh, those programs. So uh, I think maybe that uh, I, I kind of put the parties together, let them know what I was thinking, let them know what the Senate was thinking, and uh, I think it worked out relatively well at the end. Everybody's style is different. Talk about the communication that you have. Do you just great. text the governor every now and then and say, this yes, is what we, I think? We, we, I got a haircut at his barber a couple of weeks ago, and I took <laughs> a selfie. small businesses uh, we kept there in you go. I, yeah. I took a selfie, and I sent him, I'm using your barber. Hmm. I, I like them both. They're both great guys, and they're both very uh, conscientious. They're good leaders. And these meetings that you talk about, they've actually morphed into dinners because we spend so much time. And we, 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 we talk about, uh, obviously, business. Things are important to the state. I think it's important. With all due respect to my friends, I, I think it's important that every speaker have a good relationship with the governor and the Senate president. I just think it's important for the state. It's important for my caucus that we get along. And the, the product, the work product, is the proof. 
We've done some really amazing things this legislative session, and that's because I have a good partner on the other side of the General Assembly and, and, and because the governor uh, was there with bill signings, whether it's the act on climate in Newport or it's a whole host of issues, uh, you know, ending discrimination for source of incomes. We all work together on those things. If you look back historically, I, I haven't been around as, as long as my good friend, the Senate president, but if you look back in the 10 years I've been in the General Assembly, we accomplished more this year than we have ever done that I've been there. What do you think the biggest disagreement you've had just since you've taken over? Maybe some issue or whatever that you've, you've texted each other, said, you know, we're not on the same page on this. Yes, I, again, I don't really have disagreements. I think that you, you handle things professionally and I think you, you move forward from that. So I think we've worked, worked many of the issues out uh, in terms of whether the bills are coming through in a way that, uh, I'd say one of the pieces that not only the communication that's that's there, Jim, is not only between us, but it's all with, with our staffs too, right? That's where the staff the staff levels are there. Uh, the, the they they have a great deal of uh, reps and senators to deal with. I, I can't say that there has been any real something that we would consider a disagreement. There was a little hiccup on the emergency order. We were talking about that with the mass mandate, and I called, uh, talked to your spokesman, and I talked to your people uh, about whether the, you know, there's just been this issue. Governor Mundo, for for better for worse, did a lot of guiding us through the pandemic with the emergency orders. What about that now? Can you clarify? You guys really hold the power in the General Assembly. You ceded it, for lack of a better word, to Governor Raimondo. What is going on now with the emergency orders vis-a-vis -vis the legislature versus the governor? Your understanding. The Constitution is very clear. When you're in a pandemic, the executive branch of government is the one in charge. And I think it's important that we all remember that. I know some people like to think that the General Assembly is the end-all and be-all of everything. But these are health orders. These are because we're in an emergency, because we have COVID, because we have a Delta variant. And the governor and his team have done a tremendous job. And uh, I support his decisions. But there was a discussion in the legislature that, well, about well, the we 90 need, days We need to come back. 180. I just think it's... Uh, Reasonable minds can differ in an interpretation, but it's very clear that, in, at least in my mind, as an attorney and as the speaker in my legal counsel, that the, the governor has the authority to, to call, you know, declare a state of emergency and issue orders. And he, he did that. And we have a mask mandate, and it's working. Mr. President? Uh, he also has the ability to issue additional and new executive orders, uh, depending on the situation and depending on the crisis that we're facing. So uh, that... As far as we're concerned, as far as our legal counsels have made a determination, uh, that power resides in the uh, the office of the governor. Yeah, and I would just say, look, we're not going to. I'm not heavy on executive orders. Where we need them, we're going to use them. You know, the question that I asked about coming back and revisiting, uh, you know, in terms of restoring any any that that was asked and answered, and it was answered in a way that gave us the the green light to go and do what we needed to do. On the school issues, are we talking about the school mask and mandate? I, I took an approach that said we'll get all the school districts on board that we could. We get 90% of those school districts on board. We can partner with them. And then we put an executive order in uh, that just said if you don't have a mask mandate in your schools, then that you do now. Uh, so, And I, I, I would just like to kind of repeat a couple of things that I think are really important. I can rattle them off real quick. But when I came into office, we were, we were the most infected uh, you know, uh, state in the country. And we were a red dot on the map, on the world map, of being the most infected in the, in the world uh, at one point in time. Today, you know, the last data says that we're the third least infected state in the country. We have the, we have the hospitalization rates that are like uh, in the, around 45th. There's only about five states that have less of a hospitalization rate than us. And we have a, a vaccination rate that we took from very last. We were dead last. And we've been able to make it so that we're in the top five 
vaccination rates approaching 85 percent of our adult population uh, with at least one shot. Now. Mr. President, let me start with you. You've been in the legislature since Roger Williams arrived, seemingly, um, a long time, going back to 1980, both in the House and the Senate. I say that respectfully. Um, and it's always been at the last minute, everything goes through and there's trits, chits traded about budget and everything. It's different this year. The act on climate went through, the IGT bill. There was a lot of stuff before the end of the session. Why is that? Well, I mean, you know, it's not business as usual anymore. Were you in favor of that or what was your thought on that? Uh, well, if you, if you think back a little, if you think back to after the election, we have a new speaker. Uh, we sat down, we decided that uh, there were some bills that uh, we want to pass early. Uh, there were very important bills. Uh, basically, we did not do a heck of a lot when it came to legislation uh, during 2020 because of the COVID virus. Uh, however, we did manage to get a budget out in December where our colleagues came in and supported it uh, unanimously for the most part. Uh, fast forward to, uh, to uh, January. Uh, we came back when we had our caucus, our Democratic caucus in November. Uh, we told our... Uh, our uh, colleagues uh, that we are going to be moving quickly on legislation because we've had an opportunity to take a look at the legislation during the course of 2020. Uh, a lot of people said that we were not in session and that is true. However, the work continued and a lot of the co my colleagues uh, spent a lot of time, uh, especially some of the newer colleagues, uh, working on legislation that they felt was very important. So that enabled us to hit the, the, the ground running uh, come January. Uh, Senate bill number one, the first bill we passed this year uh, was a minimum wage bill. Uh, after that, uh, we had a whole slew of legislation that, uh, as you said, the, the, the climate bill, uh, a number of other pieces. Uh, I think one of the great pieces that we passed this year uh, that was sponsored by one of our freshman colleagues uh, was a uh, funding stream for affordable housing. Uh, the first time that's happened in 40 years that I've, se I, I've seen. Uh, but that's very important because of the housing issue in the state of Rhode Island. So we passed a lot of bills early, and, and, and we'll talk about, you can talk about the telemedicine, uh, a lot of things that were related to the coronavirus. Uh, so we were very aggressive, and uh, we told our colleagues uh, from the beginning uh, that we are going to be moving quickly on a lot of pieces of legislation. And as you mentioned, uh, we've, we've done, and as the speaker mentioned, we've done some amazing things uh, this year legislatively. The earliest I remember was the truck tolls. Remember, that was in February, and everyone's like, wow, this is this huge piece of legislation. It, the speaker drives a lot of this. What was your thinking on that? Uh, very similar to what the president said. Uh, it was We did two years' worth of legislation in one legislative cycle. That's why you saw so much of it. And, and it was important legislation. Uh, our colleagues wanted it. Uh, my caucus wanted it. We passed and all the bills that the Senate president said. But nursing home staffing was a big bill. Body cameras was a big bill. We worked with the governor's office. We negotiated that with the attorney general. We were able to use a lot of federal money. It, it, it is, is a tone of cooperation that's a very productive tone that you can get a lot done. And, and that's what, what you saw about that. And I don't really function well late at, at the end. There's just too much coming at you those last two, three days, late nights. Uh, I can proudly say in the House we did not suspend our rules. We haven't suspended them in the last two or three years. And that leads to an orderly closing of a General Assembly session. Does that mean we're all getting a little older, Speaker? Maybe 10 o'clock is a good bedtime for all of us? What do you think? <laughs> I, I'd like to go to bed at 9 if I could. But unfortunately, <laughs> the phone continues to ring. I want to say I wanted, one thing that you mentioned. You said, you know, about being in session. 
we're working very hard. The General Assembly might not be having formal sessions, but we, my, my good Lord, we've had that, our study commissions going. We have redistricting. We have speech line, shoreline access. We have coastal resources. We have the Opera Money Commission. We have so many things going on right now. We have the Low and Moderate Housing Commission. We're working. Our staffs at the State House are working almost around the clock. It's a very productive off year. Governor, let me ask you, uh, the proposed merger again between Lifespan and Care New England, and this goes back 20, 25 years. It's fallen apart for various reasons. We're at the point now, there, both of these hospitals are facing tremendous financial issues. What is your thought about the merger? What role you play? And ultimately, and I'll ask these questions to you guys too, if it doesn't go through, what's, what is the state's role in all of this? So just, I haven't heard you talk much about the yeah, merger. Yeah, so, and that's been the subject of our dinners, uh, more, than, more than one, that's and all the options that the General Assembly could play that role. The governor's office has, um, you know, is kind of, a, 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 you know, watching it, right? We, we can have, a, a, you know, our say on, on, on whether there should be a merger or not. You know, there are some upsides, there are some downsides. Do you favor the merger? I, I, I think that I would well, want to see more because you're, you're talking about as much as 80 to 90 percent of all the uh, hospital, um, you know, activity coming out of that one space in a merger. So there's a need to address that. I think the, the attorney general is more than ready to uh, step in. And we've had the, uh, some level of conversation with him. But, it, again, it's the attorney general, the Department of Health are going to kind of, uh, you know, determine a great deal about that, about the merger. But nationally, the Federal Trade Commission has had a sea change since with the new administration right. and is not so wild about these mergers. That's correct. So then how does that factor in in well, your mind? Well, let, let's just talk a little bit more globally. I don't want to speak specifically because there is a pending application before the FTC. So we'll let that process play itself out. I, I have been in contact with you know, both presidents, Dr. Finale, Dr. Babineau, they feel reasonably confident that, they feel very confident they've done a very good job putting an application together. Let's hope that the FTC approves the merger. If not, and they don't approve the merger, then it would basically flip back to the state, and the states have to make a decision what we want to do and what we can do. Uh, there's very strong financial considerations of why there should be a merger. There are a lot of people who feel strongly that it shouldn't be a merger, but right now it's this, the state's role is very limited. As the governor said, it's really the, the Department of Health and the Attorney General uh, will, will weigh in on it. There's no role for the legislature to play at this time, but we are monitoring it. We're concerned. I'm personally concerned with, number one, quality of patient care, and number two, the jobs here in Rhode Island. Because yeah. in a merger, you always think, oh, we're going to lose its economy of scale, right? Uh, uh, no question about it. But we have to be rec recognized that in Rhode Island, that we're not competing amongst ourselves. In, in other states, 40 miles is part of the same state. In Rhode Island, 40 miles gets you to Boston, mm. and that gets you to a whole you know, wealth of health care information and availability. So we, we are competing to some degree with the Boston system. You have Yale, which owns Westerly Hospital. You have Prime and Prospect here. So there's other hospital chains that are at South County is an independent. We need to be very careful what we do, when and if it ever comes to us. But right now, there's no role for us. President, the, the question some people have is, if this doesn't go through for whatever reason, then you've got this financial crisis. If, philosophically, is that something that the state might get involved in with dollars, or is that not sustainable over the long run in your mind? Well, let me say, let me say this. Uh, I've been concerned about the health care system for the last couple of years in the state of Rhode Island. The merger has just come about uh, in the past year. Uh, however, there are some hospitals right now uh, that are in jeopardy of closing, uh, Fatima being one of them and Roger Williams being the other. 
Uh, I'm really concerned about the, that impact along with the coronavirus and the effects of the coronavirus uh, going forward. So uh, we're going to The take federal money has helped. There's a lot of federal money sloshing around, but that doesn't help for the long run. Uh, that's, that's true. I mean, that money is going to dry up at some time. Uh, we have to really be uh, vigilant as to how we address the situation uh, with the merger. And uh, like the governor said, uh, that process is ongoing right now. Uh, we have no uh, input into that particular situation at this point in time. Uh, but I'm looking at the overall health care picture in the state of Rhode Island and how it's going to be, what it's going to look like in the, in the next two, three or four years. One of the points we've done in, in the offseason is we have a study commission of representatives uh, looking into health care um, uh, delivery services and where we need to be going forward. I thought you said there was no offseason. Uh, there is no. One of the <laughs> off season it's meeting, the on-season, off-session. Yeah, off off-session, off session, but believe me, it's a lot of work going on Speaker, right now. Speaker, let me stay yeah, with... The Ellen Slater thing, we just jumped in yeah. a little bit on that because... That's an area that we do have something to say about, right? And so it was great news this week that we received the uh, full accreditation, uh, you know, that we got that back. Uh, that has to do with a great deal of work that's being done by staff in our office and in uh, the General Assembly as well. But we know that that's a big uh, issue, and we control that issue. So we'll be, you know, again, providing a, a build-out strategy for the, the facilities out of our office coming into the next budget. And we'll have made a great deal of progress uh, bringing, uh, making sure the patients, uh, the families are top priority, the staffing is a, a, is a serious pri a priority for us, as well as the community that they serve. So there's been tremendous progress in the area that we actually have some level of control and, and say over in that Elena Slater Hospital. So thank you to the staff and, and the leadership, at, quite frankly, of Director Charest. Uh, Speaker, let me stay with you. Federal stimulus money. The governor pretty much stayed out of it for this budget session. There were little pockets here and there, but it's a huge tranche of money and a lot. And you and I had this conversation actually for Lively about a month ago, investments as opposed to spending. So I'm sure we could go to all three of you and have and have specific things you want to do. What are you looking at each of you from the 30,000 foot view on this money that's going to roll out the next couple of years? Uh, I, I've said this before, I, I, my, my preference would the money be invested and not spent so that we get some long-term benefit. So for example, up. what? Like, uh, capital like, expenditures or what? Possibly. I mean, what I also want to do is, uh, it's more about the process for me. I want it to be a collaborative process. I want to hear from the Rhode Island Foundation. I want to hear from Bryant University. They're doing a study. And I want to hear from my colleagues in the General Assembly. I want to work with the governor. He's got his priorities. They're pretty much the same as mine. I want to work with the Senate president, whether it's housing or child care. Those are, when I mean, we say my priority, his priority, those are the priorities of Rhode Island. So it, obviously, the money will be spent in those areas. How and and when and how, you know, we're, we're going to be hiring hopefully in the next 30 days or less a new housing czar to, to really tackle affordable housing in the state going forward. We're going to look at that, and uh, the governor uh, sends me, uh, you know, his proposals. We'll have hearings on it, and we'll consider every one of them. But th they will be, uh, you know, spent, and I'd like to hold some of the money back. I don't want to spend it all in one year. We have four years to spend the money. I think we should look at it and spend a good part of it because Rhode Island needs it, and I understand that, and then we should save some for the future because we don't know. We don't know what's coming. The one other thing I want to point about the federal funds you talk about, we still do not have guidance from the federal government yet. Expect it at the end of this month. And there's also another stimulus package pending in Congress right now that we don't know what that's going to include. And that may be more infrastructure related. So let's see what that 
those requirements are going to be, whether it's roads or broadband. And if that's great, I'll take every federal dollar we can get. But that means we don't have to use the ARPA money for roads or broadband because we're going to get some of the infrastructure money. You think of all your years in the legislature, how many of those have you had to plug the huge hole? And what a once-in-a-generation opportunity this is. What goes through your head about how to spend this money? Uh, I, I don't think we've ever been in a better situation since I've been up there. Uh, as you said, we're always looking for money. Uh, and I think the economy prior to the uh, coronavirus was doing very well. Uh, we were down to 3.4% unemployment. Uh, a lot of people were working. Uh, and the economy was going along very well. And then coronavirus hit. Uh, but uh, uh, we have a lot of money. And as the speaker said, we have to be prudent as to how we spend the money. We want to get that money out to the people that need it at this point in time. Uh, those people who are in danger of getting evicted. Uh, we have to get uh, people back to work. And to do that, you need affordable child care. And also, uh, I, think, I think that you need uh, all-day pre-K uh, because that'll help Keep the kids in school. The parents won't have to leave early to pick up the, the child. Uh, I think those are two important things that we're looking at right now. Uh, the housing issue, and that housing issue has evolved from affordable housing to now uh, the eviction situation. Uh, the, a lot of our housing agencies are going forward and are trying to notify people that they are eligible uh, for, for a relief. Uh, on their rent, and also we, we provide the, uh, the payments to the landlords who over a period of time have not been able to uh, evict anyone for non-payment. Uh, I think it's a great program. I think it has to be promoted uh, a lot more uh, than it is, and I think Rhode Island Housing and the other housing affiliates are starting to do that. So uh, those are two issues that we're looking at right now in the Senate. Governor Stanley Swinney. Yeah, so you want to be quick but not in a hurry. And I think that uh, right now we do have a need. We're, we're fortunate that we have one of the fastest recovering economies in the entire country. Uh, this week, I think we again lead the Northeast in terms of the recovery. Uh, nationally, I think that we've ranked anywhere from two to seven. Um, and we don't want to lose that position. So I think that uh, you know, we'd like to see some funds go in to support the economy in terms of the, the way that, that we need to, whether it's in tourism, whether it's in uh, hospitality, whether it's in our small business in particular. Uh, Education-wise, we're making a great deal of progress in education. I, I have thoughts about how to help every community in the state of Rhode Island, all 39 cities and towns on education. It's not a lot of money. We're going to be asking for that to be released, you know, uh, sooner rather than later. Um, and uh, and as well as the uh, the issues that have to do with housing. I mean, we're all on the same page as housing. That's going to be a pretty we're, long dinner for yeah. you guys yeah. to work. Okay, this week we're going to do uh, legalization of marijuana. Next week we're going to block out three hours for dinner on the federal money. Well, you don't want, but you don't want to lose the position that we have in the economy. So, um, and other states, we're the last state I think in the Northeast to use any of the money. So. Um, and now they're investing those dollars in a way back in their economy, and they're actually catching up to us. So, you know, we're, we're kind of ahead on the first quarter turn on the Kentucky Derby, so to speak. We want to keep that position. So I think there's some real strategic investments that need to be made now. And then, and then uh, uh, clearly, like I said, not uh, quick but not in a hurry in terms of yeah. how that two or three years. I, I don't disagree. Up. I think the important thing we all have to remember, and all the viewers out there, this is one-time money. Mm. This is not reoccurring money. This is one-time gift from the federal government. You were a $13 billion budget, and it was 9.4 just a couple of years yeah. ago. So you've got to roll that back a little bit next year, right? It, it's, it, a lot of that is federal money. That's a very misleading statistic. I know because that, but a lot where of that are you going to start is, out? Is, at 11, 12? Uh, where are you going to start out next year? We're, we're going to be 
be a revenue-driven budget, whatever the revenues forecast. We have a, a talented team of the House and Senate and, and uh, Office of uh, Management Budget. They meet. It's a fiscal conference. Uh, they the revenue estimates, and they come up with a revenue, and that's what we base our budget on. And we've been doing that for years. It's been very accurate. We finished this year with a slight surplus, so they're doing a very good job. It, it's not an exact science. It's a, uh, you know, you have to predict this. So I think it's important. One other thing is also, we talk about the state money. The cities and towns have gotten a lot of federal money themselves, too, mm. as well. And when you talk about the growth of, the, you know, my colleagues on the other side of the aisle, Republicans say, oh, the budget's out of control, you're raising spending. A lot of that spending, a tremendous amount of that growth is driven by the unemployment benefits that Donald Trump and Joe Biden have sent to us through the Congress, and that has to go to the state. And they don't send money to Jim Hummel. They send money to the state, and then the state, through the unemployment office, sends the money out to Jim Hummel. So all of this uh, enhanced unemployment benefit, that all flows through the state budget, and that, that is responsible for the increase of the budget. Just quickly, we're going to see a fall session? Possibly. You don't know yet. We're, we're going to wait and see. We're working very hard to make it happen. There's a lot going on. If we come to a resolution, particularly on marijuana, that's very possible. Mr. President, National Grid is being bought out by another company. I know you have great concerns about that, what happened in, in Newport a couple of years ago. What, you know, for those of us who, you know, you sneeze and the power goes out in my neighborhood, it's and I didn't lose it during Henri. What are the chances of that? You know, a hurricane comes through and I'm all fired up and ready to go. What are your concerns for the long run as this new company acquires National Grid? Uh, one of my major concerns is uh, when you have something, a uh, power outage and, uh, of, of substance and, and something of that nature, uh, I, I know they operate in different areas. They operate in Kentucky uh, in, in Pennsylvania. Uh, I want to ensure that when something like that happens, they have the adequate personnel to address those situations up here. We don't have to wait for someone to come from uh, Kentucky or, or else uh, uh, they're housed. Uh, so I think that's important. Addressing those situations uh, is a sense of immediacy. So uh, I'm concerned about that. I think that they have a, uh, a plan that they can address that uh, with. So I'm waiting to see, uh, waiting to have some uh, meetings with them uh, later on. Uh, in the year to see uh, what they're thinking and what they're proposing. And you've been on grid going back to your days from Lieutenant Governor. Yeah, so, I mean, three things there. One, we're having conversations with PPL. In fact, we called them on the Friday night and the Saturday night before the hurricane or the, you know, tropical storm hit and said, you need to get people up here, uh, you know, actually show a good example and then be with me to see what the infrastructure looks like. Rhode Island did get hit. 25 times hotter than, either, than, than Massachusetts did on a, on a per capita basis, 15 times hotter than Connecticut got hit. It was the same storm. So we clearly have some issues that we need to address on the infrastructure and the outages. I would just point another thing, as the speaker was talking about the legislation that got passed this year, we did put an article in our budget that holds utilities accountable now as New York and Massachusetts does if, in fact, there's an outage and they're responsible for that. Uh, starting next year, they, they, they will pay a price if, in fact, they are uh, responsible for long-term outages that could have been prevented. A lot of times it seems like Groundhog Day. We talk about these issues over and over, and then it's really not until the crisis hits of a storm, right? 
Well, we just, uh, just as the governor said, we took some proactive uh, responsibilities in that. I know that uh, Whip Kazarian's been looking at that, uh, representing East Providence uh, concerning National Grid, and, you know, their, their lack of being held to standards, making sure they have an emergency plan in place. So we're getting there, and we're making progress on it. And the governor's been a big advocate and a big ally of that yeah. fight. And one you of the things that we're doing, too, is that when the Clean Air Act got passed, we got a 2030 a threshold, there's going to be some need for some funding. I, we've identified, at least our office has, that the energy efficiency account, uh, approximately $40 million in one way or another gets to, gets to the, the national grid in the management of that program, right. either in profit or incentives or management fees and also, uh, you know, managing projects. We think that the, of that $40 million, that a good amount of those dollars could be redistributed into helping us get the clean air that we need and, the, and we don't have to go in any, any ratepayer's pocket to make it happen. All right, gentlemen, that is all the time. Can you believe it? 30 minutes? No. Hey, will you come back? Yes. All right. I invite, go where I'm invited. Hey, invite me to one of those dinners. What do you think? Can I come in in one of those dinners of off the record? Only if you pay. <laughs> right, yeah, I would right. have to. We switch I, every, every third every dinner. Third, I would uh, have to dinner. play. Senate President Ruggiero, Speaker Sarkarchi, and uh, Governor McKee, thank you so much. Folks, thank you for joining us. We hope you have a great week. Come back here next week as a lively experiment continues. A Lively Experiment is generously underwritten by. For more than 30 years, A Lively Experiment has provided insight and analysis of important political issues that face Rhode Islanders. I'm John Hazen White, Jr., and I'm proud to support this great program and Rhode Island PBS.